We heard today in the reading from the Hebrew scriptures the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. The story is famous, known to many people who know few other Bible stories. In it, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son. And we hear repeatedly the term, your only son. And to sacrifice him in the same manner that lambs and pigeons and other blood offerings were sacrificed. Upon an altar to demonstrate loyalty and obedience to Yahweh. Here the offering is to be Isaac, that son who came so late to Abraham and Sarah, the son for whom Hagar and her son Ishmael were sent away into the desert, as we heard last week. This is the only son from whom God promises the descendants of Abraham would spread across the world as many as the stars in the sky. Father David and I have both commented on this tale before, noting that there's archaeological evidence that points to child sacrifice throughout the Near East in ancient times. For what God or gods or exactly the relationship of those ancient peoples to the Jews of the Hebrew scriptures, we don't really know. But there seems to be a connection between what Abraham is asked to do and what was actually a practice among some tribes in lands close to ancient Israel. But God gives Abraham a reprieve. He changes the rules. God, in effect, eliminates the part of the sacrifice that demanded almost more than a person could bear. Abraham, just by going up the mountain with his son, building an altar, laying the boy on the wood ready for sacrifice, demonstrates sufficient obedience. And God changes the rules at the 11th hour. So what does this story mean? I'm going to tell you what I think it means, not as a spokesperson for the church, but for me and probably for some of you, as we read it here as Christians. It seems to demonstrate that the God whom Abraham reveres and who has dealt so well and graciously with Abraham was a God who required absolute obedience. That was the price of staying in God's favor. One took what came, asked no questions. This was not necessarily a cruel God, as might be imagined from the demand to sacrifice one's child, but this was a God with absolute power, who wanted to be in charge of every action that occurred. This God is depicted as powerful and inscrutable, and humans in that world were powerless. And yet we find within the Old Testament other stories of humans who make deals with God, ask for favors, and get them. It's interesting that Abraham doesn't try to make a deal with God. He just loads up the firewood, tells the boy to come along, and sets off for the mountain. But whatever absolute obedience Abraham exhibits is not, I believe, intended to be a model for Christians. God is not asking for our children in this way. God is asking for our love and thankfulness. I do not believe that in the process of history we need to go back to such rules, but may move forward. The obvious parallel between Isaac and Jesus is almost too pat. 
but nevertheless, it's worth considering. I even really heard when the lesson was read at 8 o'clock that it took them three days to get to the mountain. God specifically asks for Isaac's death and then changes the request. Abraham's son lives. God's son is sacrificed, but then returns to life. This narrative from the book of Genesis is a story told and retold to teach a lesson to a tribal people who needed to adhere closely to the rules of survival. After their strength, after, and their strength lay in cooperation. Cooperation with each other in a rigidly defined social structure and cooperation with a long list of rules having to do with God and the relationship between God and humans. In such a structure, God has no obligation to explain any demands. It's easy to see this story as one in which a man's faith is tested to the greatest extent, and at the last minute, his faithfulness is rewarded with reprieve. The story is clearly meant to teach that even the mighty are tested and must obey, and if an Abraham can be tested like this, think what might happen to the rest of you. But for Christians... God seems not to have set up demands of minute and rigid obedience. We trust that we may live according to the laws of our world and that we are to use the guidance of Jesus' teaching in making our choices. We are to rely on our experiences and our minds in making sense of them and on the traditions of worship and fellowship modeled for us by the church as it has evolved. We live in a new world. This is not Abraham's world. We struggle to make sense of what seems to be more freedom than Abraham had. His world was small and dangerous. The only sure thing was God and the intricate rules of relationship with God. Our world offers us fewer specific rules of engagement with God, but those are demanding. We must believe that God loves us and that we are to respond with love. We believe that we have responsibilities to think, to care for the world and for each other, to come together in community to give thanks for the life and teaching of Jesus, to worship, to think about our relationships in life, to use our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. We can ask about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Why would God do that? The answer may be more human than divine. It's a story told by humans to people who live where there is a need for absolute obedience among a small group in a dangerous environment. But I do not believe that God is necessarily engaged in every event in a direct, this-must-happen way. God is with us, but we have free will. I'm strongly moved to think about these things by the events in our diocese in this past week. The accident which took the life of Michael Reeves, our Bishop Mary's husband. Over and over, I've heard some variation of how could this happen? Why would God do such a thing? I believe we are asking the wrong questions. I believe we must realize what the word accident means. The Latin that is its source could be translated happens or just happens. The whole point of the word is to say that it is an occurrence with no reason, 
no plan behind it, as much as we may want there to be. That doesn't mean there's no cause and effect, but those follow the rules of time and space, of physics. I do not believe for a minute that God decided that Michael Reeves should die because of something that humans did or did not do. Or because God wanted him to end his mortal life. Of course, as is obvious, I am not in touch with the mind of God, but in Christian scripture, in reason and tradition, I do not find a God that acts that way. In the Old Testament story, God is depicted as clearly at work, specifically asking for Isaac's life and then giving a reprieve. But we are not basing our theology on the theology of Abraham. As the author of Romans says in today's epistle, you are not under law, but under grace. We all live with a knowledge of our own mortality. Such realization when it comes to us as children or adolescents is stunning and unbelievable. But then we either learn to live with it or to go mad. We encounter a juxtaposition of events every minute. And we should try every day to do what will make our lives meaningful and happy. Some of the things that just happen will be difficult but some will be life-enhancing. I believe God wants us to care for each other, to use our hearts, minds, souls, and strength to live our lives of service, worship, and thanksgiving. God does not plan every minute for us. We are trusted to think for ourselves. So let's give thanks every day for every day. Although we may have sacrifices to make, we live within the love of God. Amen.